Let's pray and ask God to open up his word to us so that we understand it and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Father, we do thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. Thank you that it is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that it is able to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped to live lives pleasing to you. Please do those things for us this morning. Help us to understand who Jesus is and how to trust in him and help us to live as your people. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I was on the campus of a university in Sydney. I was with my friends, Martin Pakula and Nicole Thornborough. We were handing out some leaflets advertising a Jewish Christian ministry that we were running at the time. And we were trying to get into conversations with people. Particularly, we were, we were trying to get into conversations with Jewish students uh, to talk to them about Jesus. While we were there, a Roman Catholic chaplain approached us. He saw what we were doing, watched for a little while, and then he started ripping into us. He said it was disgraceful that we were proselytising on campus. He said, God loves all people as they are. He said it is rude and arrogant to tell people that they need to trust in Jesus, and especially Jewish people. Well, Martin, who, as you know, looks like he just walked straight out of a synagogue, uh, Martin looked at the bloke and quite innocently, I think he said to him, are you a Christian? The bloke hit the roof. He said, I can't believe how rude you are. He said, how dare you insinuate that I'm not a Christian? Well, to cut a long story short, he complained to the university authorities and uh, we had to leave the campus. But Martin's question really struck me. How do you know if you're a Christian? How can you tell if someone else is a Christian? How can you tell if they're genuine, if they're, if they're fair income, if they're the real article? Something like one person in five in our world claims to be Christian. It's about a billion people. But how can we know if they really are? I remember one time uh, on a, a Moore College mission down at Albion Park, I was working with the Anglican Church down there. I knocked on someone's door. I said, G'day, I'm from the Anglican Church here in Albion Park. I'm visiting people because I want to talk to people about Jesus. He said, sorry, I'm not interested in Jesus. I'm Church of England. <laughs> I said, Anglican is Church of England. I said, I'm from your church. But it, it didn't help. The door got slammed in my face. <clears throat> Was that person a Christian? He claimed to be Church of England, but how do you know? How can you know? How can you tell if someone is a genuine Christian? In Acts chapter 11, a new church is started in a city called Antioch, modern-day Turkey, just near the border of Syria. And in some ways, this church in Antioch is very unusual, quite unique. First, it wasn't started by the apostles. It was started by just ordinary Christians going out and sharing their faith. And second, this church in Antioch was a mixed church. It was made up of both Jews and non-Jews. As we've seen so far, all the Christians, basically the early Christians, were Jewish. But here is the first church that was mixed. This new church in Antioch is quite unique. And so in Acts chapter 11, the apostles down in church headquarters in Jerusalem, they decide they better check them out to make sure they're genuine. Let's start off by getting a bit of background. We're going to head back to Acts chapters 7 and 8. You remember way back there, Stephen, 
Stephen was martyred and the early church faced terrible persecution. Uh, People like Saul were persecuting the church, chasing after them, trying to put them in jail. And so the Christians, they they ran for their lives. The church was scattered. Jump back with me to to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was there, giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And then you see uh, Philip go off to tell the Samaritans. The church was scattered. Wherever they went, the Christians talked about Jesus, as as real Christians do. I mean, you you breathe, you talk about Jesus. Real Christians can't help but talk about Jesus. Uh, Chapter 8, we see Philip tell the Samaritans. And now, chapter 11 and verse 19, we pick up again on these scattered Christians. Uh, some Some of them get as far as the city of Antioch. Most of them speak only to Jews, But some of them speak to Greeks, including Gentile Greeks, non-Jewish Greeks, and they tell them about Jesus as well. So let's go to our passage now, Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Acts 11, 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So these people, Jew and Gentile, they hear the message about Jesus, and by God's grace, they become Christians. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with the evangelists, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And notice that key key phrase in verse 21. Notice... Notice what it is to become a Christian. These people, what did they do? They believed and they turned to the Lord. That's fundamental, isn't it? That's what it means to be a Christian. First, you have to believe. What do you believe? You believe that the message about Jesus is true. You believe that, uh, that God came to earth in the person of Jesus. You believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. You believe that he died in our place on the cross, as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. You believe that God raised him from the dead. You believe that Jesus is now alive, reigning as king, with the full price for our sin paid, offering to forgive us, be our king, be our saviour, offering to accept us as his subjects. That's where Christianity starts, by believing the message about Jesus. But it's more than just believing the message. It's more than just some kind of academic affirmation. You have to then turn to the Lord. That is, you have to turn away from running life your own way. You have to turn away from being your own boss. You have to turn away from setting your own agenda for your life. And you turn to Jesus as Lord. You submit to him as your boss. You you accept his agenda. You you accept the forgiveness that he offers and you become his subject. You, You live your life the way he wants you to live. 
Can you see that simple definition of a Christian? You believe the message about Jesus and you turn to him as your Lord. That might all seem pretty obvious. But it's amazing how many people don't get this. Uh, My wife is Italian, so I've got to know a few Italians. And I keep on hearing the same thing. You ask, are you a Christian? And they say, I'm Italian. (laughs) Of course I'm a Christian. I'm born and raised and baptised in the church. They think being a Christian is about being born with a certain culture and identity. Well, sometimes when I go visiting, I ask people if they're Christians. And I hear something like, well, well, I was baptised a Methodist. My husband was baptised Church of England. And so we got married in a Presbyterian church as a compromise. Sorry, what, what did they have to do with the question? They think being a Christian means being baptised or married somewhere. Or the classic person thinks that being moral and good makes them a Christian. You ask them, are you a Christian? And they say, yes, I try hard to keep the Ten Commandments. can't remember what they are, but I try hard to keep them. I, I look after my family, so of course I'm a Christian. But can you see from Acts chapter 11, it's just the wrong, wrong playing field. It's, it's the wrong way of thinking altogether. You're not a Christian because you were born into a certain culture. You're not a Christian because you were baptised somewhere or married somewhere. You're not a Christian because you try to be a good person. If you're a Christian at all, it's because you believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again and having believed, you've stopped running life your own way and you've accepted him as King and Saviour. Of course, you can't do that unless you hear the message about Jesus. You can't hear about mes- the message about Jesus unless someone tells you. And that's why what that chaplain on campus, uh, that's why what he was saying was so terribly wrong, so fundamentally unchristian at that point and of course that's why the poor person at Albion Park who was Church of England but not interested in Jesus has just missed the, missed the point altogether well that's what they did at Antioch they believed and turned to the Lord well, in the next section we see that news filters back down to headquarters in Jerusalem Jews and Gentiles are becoming Christians you know, there in Antioch now remember from last week The Jerusalem church, they already know that Gentiles can become Christians. They've just had that debate with the whole Cornelius episode. We saw it last week, didn't we? And so they don't feel the need to send apostles to Antioch, like they did with the Samaritans, to check out if Samaritans could be Christians back in chapter 8. They don't need to send the apostles. They don't have to establish that Gentiles can be Christians. But but they do want to check out that what's happening up in Antioch is fair dinkum. So what they do, they send Barnabas. He's a good bloke, he's from Cyprus, like some of the guys who started the church, and so he's an ideal choice. Barnabas heads off to Antioch, and he's convinced. He sees the evidence of the grace of God. He sees, that is, he sees how God has graciously given them the gift of believing in Jesus. He sees how God has graciously enabled them to turn to faith in the Lord Jesus and accept him. He can see the evidence of it no doubt in the way they spoke and in the way their lives had been changed. Barnabas is convinced. And so he speaks to the the, the Christians in Antioch and he says, guys, what I want you to do now is stick with it. I want you to keep going, keep believing, keep submitting to Jesus as Lord. Verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Notice there the second mark of Christians. Being a Christian is not just about making a one-off decision. You don't believe and turn to the Lord and then forget about it. As Barnabas says to the church in Antioch here, you need to remain true to the Lord. A while ago I was reading the Herald and an article in the Herald by Mike Carlton. You know his little uh, section there. He was criticising Christians, as he is wont to do. And in particular, as he enjoys doing, he was criticising Peter Jensen, the Archbishop of Sydney. He was complaining about how Peter does evangelism. He was complaining about how Peter tells people to obey Jesus in the area of sexuality. Now, Carlton said, rightly, that Peter Jensen was converted at the Billy Graham crusade in 1959. But then he said something that really struck me. He said, I also came forward at that same crusade. Mike Carlton also prayed a prayer that same day to ask Jesus to forgive him and be his king. Uh, Mike Carlton and Peter Jensen, they started off on the same journey. But they've arrived at very different destinations. Uh, One is now a, a passionate and faithful and wholehearted Christian. The other is now a cynical enemy of King Jesus and his people. What's the difference? Well, Peter Jensen has gone on with it. He's remained true to the Lord in his heart. But Mike Carlton has chucked it in. So that's two characteristics, two marks of true Christians that we've seen. First, they believe and turn to the Lord. Second, they stick with it. They remain true to the Lord in their hearts. As Barnabas serves the church in Antioch, it keeps on growing numerically. um, He needs some help to look after all these people. And so he calls for, amazingly, Saul. Halfway through verse 24. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Uh, You all saw Saul get converted back in chapter 9. But if you think about it, this is... It's just delicious irony because this church was actually started by people running away from Saul, from his his persecution back in chapter 8. And now Saul is the one who's coming to help the church. God's certainly got a sense of humour in the way he brings it all around. It's so neat. Well, Saul and Barnabas, they meet with the church And they teach them more and more about Jesus. These people just lap up their teaching and and it it helps them, establishes them, so they can remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And uh, in fact, you see the way it works because these people become so keen about Christ, they even get named after him. They get called for the first time Christians. Christians. Halfway through verse 26. So for a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Notice there are a third characteristic of these true Christians. They love to learn about Jesus. They love to meet together and study God's word. 
They love the teaching of faithful people like Barnabas and Saul. In fact, that's what the word disciple means. It means learner. The other day I was talking to a bloke who was a student here at Chatswood a few years ago. He's now in ministry. He told me he's getting a lot of complaints about his preaching. People keep saying to him, and I quote, you're not really doing sermons, you're doing Bible studies. They say, just give us nice stories and moral lessons to help us along during the week. We're not interested in studying the Bible. If we wanted to study the Bible, we would go to a Bible study. I have to say it had a little bit of a familiar ring to me. Um, Now, it may be that this bloke is a boring preacher, but I don't think that's what it is. I think what's going on is a deep spiritual problem in the people that he is serving. See, unlike, unlike the people in Antioch, they don't love to learn from God's word. They don't love to learn more about the Lord Jesus. It's got to make you wonder where they are at. It's got to make you wonder, well, it's got to make you wonder whether they're Christians at all. Because genuine Christians, Christians like these Christians down in Antioch, the tested Christians, the ones that the apostles are are sure are Christians, they're the sort of people who love to learn from God's word. Well, last section. In the last section we see one more event. And again, this event reveals the genuineness of the church at Antioch, of the Christians in Antioch. Some prophets come down from Jerusalem. Basically, prophecy in the New Testament is telling God's message about Jesus. It's speaking God's word of the gospel. That's that's fundamentally what prophecy is in the New Testament. But there are a couple of exceptions. Um, As in the Old Testament, sometimes God gives people a special future knowledge about events that are going to happen. That's what he does here. A prophet called Agabus predicted that there would be a famine. The important thing for us to see is this. We need to notice the response of these Christians. They respond with great generosity. They don't say, whoa, a famine's coming. We'd better uh, save up our money and food and lock up our safes. No, no, no. They say, they say a famine's coming. What about our Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? We, We better help them. So they get some money together. And then they send Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to pass the money on. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now this gift was actually incredibly significant in the life of the early church. Just just think about for a minute from from the perspective of the Jewish Christians. Uh, Down in Jerusalem, all their lives, the Jewish Christians have thought of Gentiles as being unclean as not being part of God's people, as being godless, selfish pagans. It took them, we've just seen, two chapters worth of convincing to believe that Gentiles could be Christians at all. 
And as we're going to see later on in Acts, the fight is not over yet. And if you read through 2 Corinthians and Galatians, and we're going to say it's a fight that kept on going right through the New Testament. But, but, but here God sends a famine. The Jewish Christians, they know they're going to struggle. And the Gentile Christians send help generously. Our second reading from Galatians chapter 2, that's, that's Paul talking about when he went with Barnabas down to, uh, to Jerusalem to bring the gift. And you see in his account there that, um, that it, was a, it was a really key time for him and Barnabas to be talking to the apostles and making very clear under what circumstances the Gentiles could be Christians and making absolutely sure that, that the Jewish church was accepting that Gentiles could be Christians. And of course, the gift was such an important part of that because it was, it was living evidence of, of the changed lives of the Gentile Christians. And of course, it's very hard to keep being suspicious of people when they're being so generous and kind to you. It's hard to think of them as selfish pagans when they are the ones showing you up by being so generous towards you. This gift was vital in unifying the early church. It it was significant and it was another sign that the faith of these Christians was genuine. Earlier in, in the book of Acts we saw what the Jewish Christian church was like. We saw how generous they were with each other. Some of them even sold property and gave the money to the poor. That's what Barnabas did, do you remember? Barnabas himself sold a property. Gave the money for the poor. You see the point? The generosity of these Christians at Antioch is another clue, another mark of their being fair dinkum. Genuine Christians are generous. So can you see what it meant for this church in Antioch to be genuine? Can Can you see the marks of fair dinkum Christianity? Number one, these people in Antioch believed the message about Jesus and turned to the Lord. Number two, they decided in their hearts, they committed in their hearts to remain true to the Lord. Number three, they learned diligently from God's word. Number four, they showed deep generosity to God's people. The apostles have checked them out. The apostles are convinced of the grace of God at work in them. The apostles are convinced that what we've got here in Antioch is fair income Christians. So what do you reckon? What do you think would happen if a delegation from the Jerusalem Apostles came to Chatswood Presbyterian? What would they say to us? What would they say to you? Could they report these same characteristics that they found in Antioch? Could could they say that we are fair income Christians? Well, let's think about it for ourselves. Let's work it through. Number one, do you believe the message about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again? Do you believe that he is the saviour and the king, the only way to God? And if you believe that, have you turned to him? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you said, I want to stop running life my way and be your subject, your person. I want you to be my king. Have you done that? Have you? Number two, are you sticking with it? Have you you decided in your heart that you are going to remain true to Jesus, no matter what the cost? I know we fail. I know we fall. I know we mess up. But are you committed that each time you're going to get up, dust yourself off, Ask for forgiveness and keep going. Is that your decided intention? Number three, 
to stick with Jesus to the end. Number three, are you learning from God's word? You know, it's amazing, but we can actually learn from the same person that the people in Antioch learned from, from the Apostle Paul. We've got so many of his letters in the New Testament. What a privilege. Are you diligently studying God's word? Do you read the Bible by yourself? Do you read the Bible with your family? Dads, hear this loudest of all. Are you reading the Bible with your wife and your children? Are you in a Bible study? Are you in church faithfully week by week? Well done for being here. Well done for being here today. This is vital, you know, for your own sake, for the sake of your family. And it's vital for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you encourage us by being here and learning with us. Are you committed to learning from God's word? Number four, are you generous? The church in Antioch was especially generous to Jewish Christians. And I believe that this continues to be a theological priority. I believe we should be supporting Christian ministry to Jews. And so I'll be suggesting, as I've told you before, that we support the work of Christian witness to Israel in our mission day later on this year. But it's more than just supporting Jewish ministry. Are you generous in providing for the ministry of our church here? Now, Warren and I, as Warren told you before, we've, we've given up our jobs so we can devote our full time to teaching and encouraging you. The students have chucked in their jobs so they can study and prepare to devote their full time to serving God's people. We're relying on you to provide for us. I know many people here are being very generous and I praise God for that. But do realise that we're running at a very big deficit this year. I think we are now $18,777 behind. It's a good opportunity for you to put your generosity into practice. Of course, it's more than just supporting church, isn't it? And it's more than just being generous with money. Although they say that the hip pocket is the last part of a Christian to be discipled. But uh, are you being generous with your time and with your care? Are you responding to God's grace by, by being generous with his people? Okay, let's finish. How can you tell if someone's a genuine Christian? In one sense, you can't tell. You can't see into somebody's heart and God is the one who's the judge. But still, here are some marks. Here are some signs of genuine Christianity. This, this church in Antioch is meant to be a picture for us of genuine Christians. And what does it look like? They believed and turned to the Lord. They remained true to the Lord. They were learning. They were generous. Let's, let's strive to show these marks in our own lives and let's encourage each other and pray for each other that we too can be fair-dinkum Christians. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you that he has lived and died and risen again and now offers to forgive us and make us his people. We pray for each person at Chatswood Presbyterian Church that you will help us to believe the message about Jesus, to turn to him in repentance and faith. We pray that you help us to fix in our hearts that we will remain true to the Lord every day of our lives until the end. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to be people who love, to learn from your word 
and who are generous and kind and loving to your people. Please work these true marks of Christianity in us and please add to our number those who are being saved as they see our genuineness. We ask you these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.